Good morning, church. As Zachary said, my name is Emilio, and it's an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, last week, Pastor Daniel shared with us a timely word from Psalm 90, talking about numbering our days and praising God in them. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to go on our website this week, and go on YouTube, listen to the sermon, and be blessed by it. Next week, uh, he will kick off our series, Encountering Jesus, where for this fall season, we're going to do just that. We're going to encounter Jesus. We'll, we'll spend time in all four Gospels and we'll no doubt be blessed by those sermons. This morning, while not a part of that series, we're still going to encounter Jesus. Because as I was praying about what to preach on, I was continuously drawn to the passage we're going to read here in just a minute. And I believe that part of the reason that I was drawn to it is because God was convicting me of something that I had not thought much about, or if I'm being honest, something I did not want to think about. And my prayer this morning for us as a church, as we open God's word, is that you will also feel convicted, and that out of that conviction, we as a church will take a step in the right direction. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 14, we'll be in verses 22 through 33. And if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word together. Matthew writes, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you this morning that you have called us to be here. We pray that you would meet us here in your house, that you would meet us here in your word. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. About nine years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to take a group of high school students to Frontier Ranch, a young life camp in Buena Vista, Colorado, a beautiful camp surrounded by the Rockies, surrounded by some 14-footers, including Mount Princeton, which we would hike later in the week. Students from all over the, over the country would come to this camp, and, and they would meet peers from all over, and prayerfully, 
they would meet Jesus. Many for the first time. And one of my absolute favorite things about Young Life Camps is that everything that they do points to the gospel. The speaker stands on stage and shares the gospel. The camp musician is on stage sharing the gospel through his song. There's usually some type of redemptive story in the skits, no matter how ridiculous those skits are. They have tables that are round to encourage gospel-centered conversations. Even the activities, the scheduled rides, point students to the gospel. And at Frontier Ranch, the best example of this is the repelling cliff. Not a wall, a repelling cliff about 100 feet high where they thought it would be a good idea to let high schoolers repel down. So these are scheduled rides and just so happened that my group of guys and my wife's group of girls will be scheduled at the same time. So when I told my guys, one of the things you need to know about my guys is that my guys are those guys. Those guys being the guys who love adventure. And I'm like, hey guys, today's the day we're pulling the cliff and we're high-fiving, we're jumping, we're betting. Like, who's going to go down the fastest? It was me, in case you're wondering. <laughs> we were so excited. But my wife and her group of girls, well, they were the opposite. Because when Hope told them what they were about to do, most of them started crying. Some of them terrified of heights, none more so than our friend Heather. As we're all walking towards the top of this cliff, Heather is crying and shaking, terrified about this idea that we're about to make her go down a cliff. So me and the guys, we go down first, and we strap in, and, and we go down, like, we're, we're taking these jumps, free-falling for 15 to 20 feet at a time, getting down in 30 seconds. It was amazing, but the only thing that stunk was that it was over, like, as soon as it started. We did not think that part through. But we all get down, like, combined, five of us, in, like, two minutes. I think it's a record. But then the girls went up, and we stayed down there to, to encourage them. We're cheering them on, and step by step, these girls are going, getting to the bottom until there's two left, Hope and Heather. And Hope decides she's going to go before Heather because she wants Heather to see that it can be done because Hope is also terrified of heights. And so as Hope has taken steps down, she is consistently just looking up at Heather saying, see, you can do this too. And then Hope gets to the bottom, kisses the ground, she doesn't kiss me, it's fine. <laughs> and then she looks up and Heather straps in and she starts tiptoeing to the edge and takes a step. And we're all cheering for her, encouraging her, none louder than my wife, Hope. And she's saying, Heather, you've got this. You can do this. Trust me. So Heather takes these steps and then stops. So me and my guys, because again, we're those guys, decide, hey, staff, let us strap back in. Let me go Tom Cruise mode. We're going to save Heather from this cliff. And the staff said, no. <laughs> and so we're worried. What's going to happen to Heather? And then we see her take a deep breath. <gasps> and then this happens. Heather would take the biggest jump of the day. Now, what you can't tell from this picture is that Heather was still terrified. 
Heather was still crying as she came down, still scared. But Heather had taken a step of faith, trusting the camp staff and trusting her leader, Hope. And because she was able to take that step, because she was able to trust, she was able to live life to the full, even if it was for just only a moment. And when she got down, my wife and the other girls gave her the biggest hug you can imagine. And it was a moment that we would all remember for the rest of our lives. Church, this morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to take a step of faith. And the story that I share is an example of a moment where someone took a step and experienced something amazing, where they live life to the full. However, there are so many times in life when I fear that we miss out on the spectacular, where we don't step out in faith because we are hesitant or because we are scared or because we don't trust God or because we don't trust that God is in it with us. It could be seemingly small. Maybe you're here this morning, your kid's ready to take the training wheels off. And you say you do, but you're not quite ready to let go. Not trusting that they'll be okay. Maybe you're in here this morning and you know that switching majors would actually fulfill your call, would bring you more joy, but you're scared at this idea that you're not gonna make as much money. Maybe you're here this morning, there's a kid in your school whom God is calling you to sit with, to become friends with, but you are so worried about how your reputation may be affected. Maybe God has called you to another job, but you're scared to take that next step because what you're doing or where you're doing it is comfortable. Church, how often does God call us to something so great, something so amazing, but because of fear or because of lack of faith, we say no. But the good news of the gospel is that even when we are fearful, Jesus is there. Even when our faith is lacking or our doubt tries to drown us, Jesus is there. So there's going to be three points this morning, three points I want to make that come from these 12 verses that I believe will point us to the gospel that Jesus pursues, that Jesus calls, and that Jesus saves. Jesus pursues. These verses that we read this morning come after Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And as my daughter Grace would beautifully remind you, that number did not include the women and the children who were there. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. And it's a miracle that occurs because Jesus has compassion on the crowd. This crowd who shows up to listen to Jesus teach, not only because they have heard of the miracles that he has performed, but because they heard he teaches with an authority that's just different than the rest. And after he's done teaching, the disciples point out to Jesus that the crowd is tired, that they are hungry. So Jesus feeds them, all of them. And after the crowd is fed and they're dismissed, Jesus sends the disciples on ahead of him. And we know from the text that Jesus would go off and he would pray. But if you read John's gospel of this account, he seems to imply that there was a slight uprising. That after the miracle, the crowd wanted to try and take Jesus to make him the king they thought that they needed. 
I bring that up just to say that it's possible that Jesus sent the disciples off ahead of him to protect them. Matthew seems to imply this. He uses the word immediately, which creates a sense of urgency. But regardless of exactly why, we know that Jesus would send them off and that he would go off and pray. And the text tells us that by the time Jesus was done praying, the boat was a far way off, beaten by the winds. And listen again to what Matthew writes in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I think sometimes our temptation is to focus on the first and third parts of that verse. And for good reason. The fourth watch, uh, Matthew's telling us that Jesus came to them between 3 and 6 a.m. And how did he come to them? No big deal. He walked on water. But what happens in between is to me the most powerful aspect of all of it. He came to them. Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, the Messiah, comes to them. He is pursuing them. Not only pursuing them, but pursuing them in the darkness of night, in the middle of a storm. Churches, Jesus not do this for us as well. Tish Harrison Warren, in her book, Prayer in the Night, says this regarding anchoring our faith and trusting in God, and I think it relates to what we're talking about right now. She writes, The church has always proclaimed that if we want to see what God is like, we look at Jesus, a man acquainted with sorrow, no stranger to grief, a peasant craftsman who knew suffering, big and small, and died as a criminal, mostly alone. And then listen to this part. She says, mysteriously, God does not take away our vulnerability. He enters into it. Jesus does not wait for our lives to be perfect. He pursues us and enters into them in our most imperfect and in our most vulnerable moments. Jesus, as he comes to the disciples during the fourth watch of the night, is showing them that there is nothing that would keep him from pursuing them. Not a storm, not the darkness, not even the laws of physics. And in doing so, he shows us that there is nothing that will keep him from pursuing us. Whether you believe it or not, the truth is Jesus is pursuing you. In your darkest hour, he is pursuing you. In the midst of your storms, he is pursuing you. If you have lost a job, if a relationship is falling apart, in your depression, in your loneliness, Jesus is pursuing you. He pursues you and enters into our mess because his desire is to be with you. And what happens when he pursues you? Jesus finds you. And when he finds you, Jesus calls. So here comes Jesus walking on water. And when the disciples see him, they were, I think, justifiably terrified. It is a ghost, they cried out. And it says, immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. One commentary I read says, although the Greek ego, Amy, can have no more force than that, any Christian after the resurrection and ascension, meaning us, would also detect echoes of I am. 
the decisive self-disclosure of God. So Jesus, the great I am, says, it is I. And then Peter speaks up. And I love me some Peter. Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. When Peter says, if it is you, it's not meant to come off as if it's a question or as if he is doubting Jesus is who he is saying he is. It's more like Jesus, since it is you. So Peter is saying, since it is you, Jesus, tell me, command me to come to you. In which Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Jesus was not the only one to walk on water that fourth watch. Peter got off the boat and walked towards Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had called him and said, come. Peter was not going to get out of the boat on his own accord, but because Jesus had come and because Jesus had called him, he stepped out in faith because his faith was in him. Church, hear this. When Jesus calls you and when you hear him say to you to come, you cannot help but do as Peter does. Jesus in this moment is calling out to him saying, Peter, push your faith in me. If you believe I am who I say I am, then come. Trust me. Trust that being with me, even in the middle of the storm, is far greater than staying on that boat. Step out in faith. For many of us in this room, I believe that Jesus is calling us to step out in faith, to trust him with our marriage, to trust him with our finances, to trust him with our anxiety, to trust him with our relationships, with our jobs, with our calling, with our very lives. But to step out in faith can be frightening. But in stepping out, we can experience something so much better than by simply staying put. And the reason, church, that we can step out in faith is because it is Jesus who calls us to do so. Yes, it can be scary to leave the comfort of whatever your boat might be, but to not step out is to miss out. Peter gets out of the boat because his faith is in the one who calls him. And we don't know how far he got, but in verse 30 we read this. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter, in faith, steps toward Jesus. He's walking on water to the one who's pursued him, to the one who has called him out of the boat. But then he sees the wind. The storm gets his attention. The waves crashing around him get his attention. And he begins to sink. And as he is sinking, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. This week, we were met with two storms, Adelia, which canceled or delayed school for many of us, and the bigger storm, which was what happened on UNC's campus this past week. The pastors and I were leaving a meeting when we got the news, and immediately we began contacting people we know on campus to make sure that they and everyone were safe. We were scared, I was scared, and I won't even and can't even imagine what my UNC friends were feeling in that moment. But as we returned to the office, me, the pastors, the staff of this church, we did the only thing we knew to do. 
we cried out. We cried out to the one who walks on water, to the one who calms the storm, to the one who loves us and hears us and knows us and sees us. We said, Lord, be with our friends. Lord, save our friends. And, and I know because I heard from many of you that you were doing the same, that in this terrifying moment, you were crying out, Lord, save me. And why are we crying out? Because we know the same thing that Peter knows, that Jesus saves. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That word immediately in Greek is euthaios, an adverb that answers the question of when Jesus reached out and took hold of Peter. And it wasn't after a few seconds. It wasn't after some stipulations were made. Immediately or at once, Jesus reached out. And why was he able to reach out? Because Jesus was near because Jesus is near to those whom he has pursued. Jesus is near to those whom he has called, to those who take a step of faith towards him. Jesus saves. There may still be storms around us, but he is in them with us. Even when we're not looking or expecting, he is near. But his response is interesting. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is referring to the truth that Peter's faith, while strong enough to get him out of the boat, was not strong enough to stand up to the storm. So church, my question to you would be, how would you define your faith? Of little faith, where you're willing to step out of the boat, but still are scared of what is happening around you? Is your faith so lacking that you're like the other 11 disciples who never thought about stepping out of the boat? Is your faith to the point that you have so much trust that Jesus is for you and with you that you step out in faith with this beautiful gospel-centered confidence? I ask because I think it's important to know where you are this morning. But more important than that, let me remind you that no matter where you are, or where your faith is, Jesus is near. Church, are you willing to step out because you know the one who pursues you, who calls you, and who has saved you? Saved you by reaching you out and, and pulling you from the grips of death, from the grips of sin, and pulling you up so that you can have life and life to the full. Do you know, do you declare what the disciples but they know that truly this is the Son of God. Church, I began this morning by sharing that I was convicted reading these verses. And here is my conviction that we are here at Christ Central Church, a church that is in Durham for Durham, in the cities for the cities. And yet my confession is that it's easy for me in my comfort to hang out with people that I'm comfortable around to stay in this boat. But I know that there are people here in Durham whom we are not reaching, people who feel unseen and unloved, 
So as I read these verses, my conviction was and is to step out in faith, believing that Jesus has called me and wants to and will use me to pursue those whom he wants me to point them to, whom will, uh, he wants me to point them to the one who saves them. The one who through his death and resurrection offers not only life to the full, but life with him for eternity. So Christ Central, my prayer this morning as we leave is that you would know that he pursues you, that he calls you, and that he has saved you. But also, I pray that you would feel the same sense of conviction that as we leave, you would know that he has called you to pursue those whom he has reached out for. I pray that you will step out in faith this morning for the glory of God and for the good of Durham. Let me pray. Jesus, we praise you this morning because you, in love and in faith, step towards us so that we can take step towards you. Jesus, would you remind us today and always that you pursue us and call us and that you have saved us. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.